You're listening to The Chain, a science podcast where we bring what is new in the field of biologics and protein engineering to the community of scientists working in this field. We discuss the latest developments with leaders who are on the front lines of cutting edge research. On episode four, Senior Conference Director Mamie Langley is speaking with Dr. Lars Linden. He is head of the Protein Biochemistry Group in Biologics Research at Bayer and is responsible for production of research compounds and tools and biologics projects of Bayer's early research pipeline. In today's episode, they are discussing the artificial intelligence and machine learning for developability assessments and what opportunities they present for the future. Good morning. I'm Mimi Langley with Cambridge Health Tech Institute. I'm joined today by Dr. Lars Linden, Head of Protein Biochemistry at Bayer Pharmaceuticals. Lars, thank you for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. Let's start with your current role. I believe you've been with Bayer since 2007. How has your role evolved since, and what are some of the initiatives you are leading now? Yes, I joined Bayer in 2007. Actually, I was acquired together with sharing, so I was made joint buyer, but at that time I was a lab head in protein biochemistry, so I was a biochemist by training and a structural biologist, and I was producing proteins for high throughput assays in small molecules. When sharing and they emerged in 2007, I joined the newly formed protein therapeutics group or biologics group and became first a lab head there responsible for purification of our therapeutic molecules, so antibodies mostly at that time and ADCs in the research phase. And beyond that, I also did a lot of project management in research. So I was project champion mostly in oncology, but also in ophthalmology projects in research. In oncology, I focused on antibody drug conjugates at that time. And over time, my responsibilities kind of organically grew. So I became the head of the group, uh, which was globally responsible to produce all the antigens for screening purposes. I became involved into developability assessment of our lead molecules and also worked at the interface to uh, CMC development. So this kept on going, and I think 2012, I became the head of the protein biochemistry group, so now the head reporting to me, and I was then responsible for also all the developability assessments, for all the therapeutic lead compounds in the research phase and all the antigens, and I became the biologics coordinator uh, for our early research project portfolio in oncology, uh, first for the antibody drug conjugate, then for our targeted thorium conjugate, and uh, more recently I also entered in immuno-oncology. So I have been and I'm still wearing two hats in the organization. I have a functional area role focusing on protein biochemistry, and I have a more project management-related role, which is focusing on the early research portfolio. Furthermore, I'm coordinating some external uh, extended workbenches, for example, the one we have in Portugal with 13 STEs in the moment. Well, it definitely sounds like a very extensive scope of field you are covering, and I believe you have worked on many different molecules, and one of your key responsibilities is assessing the developability of these biologic molecules. So how has developability assessments enabled your team to better decide if or not to move forward with the certain molecules? And what are some of the successes you have seen then? I worked on a lot of molecules uh, over the last decade, and they're getting more and more complex. For us, 
developability starts from amino acid sequence. So already on the sequence level, which we get after having run the lead discovery campaign, we can sort out certain CMC liabilities. Uh, we can kick out glycosylation sites, oxidation hotspots, or whatever. And we can, at least to a certain extent, predict certain biophysical parameters of the antibodies or let's call it antibody-based drugs because now it's no longer just IgGs, it's multi-specifics, it's conjugates. And so it's a bit like legal. We have the antibody modules and we recombine them, but we have learned to better and better understand them. So we are early on in the discovery able to kick out the really bad ones so that we can reduce complexity early on. And we're combining these in silico assays with in vitro high throughput methods, which then allow to rank our candidates very quickly in the discovery and only advance the best ones into the lead optimization phase, where we do what I would call classic developability, so a very thorough assessment of the individual biophysical parameters. And this, of course, has helped us and is helping us to hopefully select the right molecule. Of course, pharmacology is always king, but beyond that, we want to pick the ones with a good manufacturability in times of bi-specific or multi-specifics and different types of conjugates. We do a very thorough assessment and then highlight risks or potential for risks to our CMC colleagues who then can prepare for the respective timelines and resources that they have them ready. We hope you're enjoying this episode of The Chain and wanted to take a minute to share some exciting news in the world of protein engineering. The 11th annual PEGS Europe Conference is taking place November 18th through the 22nd in Lisbon, Portugal. You can learn more about the meeting at www.pegsummiteurope.com. That's www.pegsummiteurope.com. Early registration rates apply until September 6th, so head over to register with the key code POD100 to save $100 on registration. That's POD100. We hope to see you there. Lars, when we spoke previously, you mentioned about the use of in silico and machine learning for optimization. We've seen artificial intelligence and machine learning transforming many industries from automobile to healthcare to entire cities. So can you tell us how you think AI and machine learning will change and impact the way biopharm industry conduct R&D going forward? Yes, you're right. Machine learning will truly have a deep impact on the way we do research and development in big pharma upcoming I don't know how many years, and it will disrupt the way how we treat patients, how we do drug discovery, and we already see the start of that. So artificial intelligence is already present in various phases of the research and development value chain. Starting from the patient, already now certain algorithms can better score patient tissue samples for the presence of cancer. The average doctor can do. We will see that Biomarker approaches will benefit drastically from machine learning when fed with the right curated patient data. Just now in July 2019, I've just read an article in Nature where Alphabet, so with the daughter company DeepMind, just published that they can now predict the onset of acute kidney failure 48 hours before it actually happens. So now allowing a head start for the doctors and opening new treatment options. And this continues also to CMC process, which are optimized by learning 
data of the past campaign, properties of therapeutic biomolecules can be predicted and optimized from the sequence as we already do in the developability assessment. And that can happen either fully in silico or at least with much fewer experiments. So we accelerate and maybe simplify drug discovery. And I think eventually we will be able to design drugs in silico when we know how the 3D structure of the target is. And in the long run, we even may be able to predict that 3D structure, as we have now again seen from DeepMind, that it's able to predict protein folding. So we're not there, but I think in a decade or two, we may see a very different drug discovery process, and we will work in a very different environment. And right now, this field is just very open, so there are multiple opportunities in the various steps of the R&D value chain, and they're lying just in front of us. And as big pharma sometimes tends to be a bit slow, these can now be grasped by also very small and agile data science and artificial intelligence uh, startup companies quickly, which then in turn will work together with the big pharma, I hope. At least that's how it worked in the past. And then we'll see a very quickly developing field with multiple small and some big players who are already there, like Google or Amazon. So right now, there's a very open and energetic space, but it's also a hype. Everybody speaks about artificial intelligence, and I'm sure this hype phase will then be followed by a deep ditch where we will see people losing patience, people seeing setbacks when they expect too much from too little data or from data with not sufficient quality because Data quality, and people are realizing that right now, is the key to all of these approaches. And although people are seeing that, now we have to be patient and have the data scientists get the data right and get the data clean, that we can work with that. And then we will see a very different environment in 10 or maybe 20 years. That's very difficult to predict, but it will happen. Lars, thank you again for your time and insights today. We're honored to have you as part of PAX Europe Summit this November and look forward to seeing you again. Thank you very much. Looking forward to seeing you and maybe some of the listeners in Lisbon in November. And it will be fun, as always. Thank you for joining us on The Chain. You can learn more about today's conversation and submit a proposal for future episodes at www.healthtech.com slash the chain. Tune in next time for more conversations about science, research, and exploring the world of protein engineering.